Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio, and today is Tuesday, May the 23rd, 2023. And Dr. Tim has gone this week, and he's asked me to play a record, a pre-recorded show with Carol Murko. So I hope you enjoy. It's only uh, 46, 47 minutes long, so Michael and I will be back around 12 minutes till, starting our hour a little bit early. So we'll see you then. Enjoy. Carol Murko is a master of change. Her path from Wall Street analyst to NPR and PBS cooking host and now to mindset expert and health self-mastery coach is what drives her passion to help others make changes in their own lives and enable them to master their own thoughts and become the best version of themselves. Carol's Hallmark program is Dr. Joe Dispenza's neuroscience-based change program titled Change Your Mind, Create New Results. She teaches this within corporations to corporate leaders and their teams to entrepreneurs and individuals and in retreat-style groups. In addition, she coaches women on healing journeys. The program is designed to create a fundamental understanding of how our brain and body work so you can begin to master your thoughts and create your future. Well, Carol, thank you so much for joining us here today. It's great to see you again. It's fabulous to see you again, too. It's um, it's just always a pleasure to meet um, aligned and like-minded individuals such as yourself. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. I was hoping you could start us off today by telling us a little bit about how you got into the work you do and what drives your passion for it. Ah, well, you know, I'm going to start with um, what I've called my company, which is called Love, Eat, Heal. And I, I believe that is kind of the best door into understanding kind of how I came to this work. And I, I chose those words very consciously. And the love part is love yourself first. And that was my, you know, through my own journey um, of really leaning into to loving myself first, understanding that self-care was actually something that was really good for me, and therefore I showed up as a better person. And that's just like a, like a, just a tiny window to the love part. The next part is the eat part, and I, um, I've been really a, a big proponent of um, conscious eating and um, 
just being conscious in general about what we consume, and that includes even information. And um, because I believe that, you know, ultimately we digest the universe, like everything that's around us. And then heal is, um, you know, is I believe everybody has something to heal. Like heal what needs to be healed. And it could be something, you know, as simple as, you know, just a little teeny wound that you carry from, you know, an interaction that you had on the playground as a five-year-old that you haven't, you know, like it, it, it created a, a behavior that, that, that is, you know, that you were unconscious of to, you know, disease and, and, um, and, and other things like that. So I just in, you know, in the, so what brought me to creating that though, is that I, um, I was on my, I was cast into my own healing journey. So I had an autoimmune eye disease that had no known cure. And I took on to exploring when what I deemed Western medicine was failing me because these, it's, it was an orphan disease, as they call them, that um, it was so rare that there's not a lot of research. And so right. when you're showing up and they're just, giving you different drugs and they're like, well, let's try this. Let's try that. You failed that one. And, um, and then one day I, I was meditating and which was one of the tools that I had explored to help me through this process of getting, you know, a diagnosis that would, you know, in the Western medicine, um, paradigm had a really bad result. And I, I was trying to find tools that would help me um, heal myself. And I started meditating and I was on the beach and I was doing a walking meditation and I just had a really unpleasant conversation with my doctor. And it just was like, I had this somewhat of a download that just said, you can heal yourself. Like you have the power within you. And that's when I really started understanding that our thoughts are 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 what going to he- my thoughts was or what were going to heal me. That I was going to align, you know, my intention of being whole and healed, and the emotion that I would feel when I um, when I was healed. And so that emotion is you know freedom and wholeness and. Um, and I, I just didn't learn this out of, out of, out of, you know, thin air. Like I, I sort of tripped into healers. Like I think once you, um, put out into the universe that you're ready, right? You're ready to heal the teacher show up. <laughs> and so, um, so the first teacher that showed up for me and it, it was really sort of more, um, was like sledgehammered over my head because I, I, it was introduced as person, not literally, but just his work, um, three times over the course of nine months. And after the, the third time, it was like, I apparently need to know this work. And, um, and that was the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza. And I, I dove in, you know, full, full in. And I ultimately have gotten, um, certified to teach a program called Change Your Mind, Create New Results. And my perspective on all this is you teach what you need to learn. And so, right. like, and so 
I'm teaching what I deeply need to learn and through the process of helping others on their healing journeys or, um, you know, I'm even healing myself more deeply. Um, So that's kind of how I got in and I'm passionate about it because I'm a walking example of the work because I, I can see, I, um, I, I, all my symptoms have gone. um, And I, I just have magic in my life. I, I don't even know how to explain it better, but, um, and I don't have to push the way I used to, right? Just like, just the work works in every, every aspect of your life. It's not just like, oh, it'll help you heal. It'll help you like show up better. It'll help you be a better partner. It'll, it, 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 it's just magic. <laughs> well, and so what are the, the pieces or factors in that magic? You, you've talked about a variety of things, um, in our, you know, pre-interview talk, um, what kinds of tools do you use on an ongoing basis or incorporate into the work you do with others, teaching them to change their thoughts to heal their lives? Yeah, well, um, it starts as simply as understanding that our thoughts basically create things and that um, and that the, there's a, a, a a formula or a um, model that we first start with when I work my, with my clients is that um, if you believe your thoughts have anything to do with your destiny, and they do, and 90, we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day and 90% of them are the same thoughts you had yesterday, then it makes sense that, you know, we're kind of repeating our life day after day after day. So once I like lay out that framework, um, then I begin to show them, you know, and, you know, myself, like, like, what are those thoughts that you, you, you come with every day with to, you know, so like, and we journal. So journaling is a big part. You wake up in the morning and, you know, typically before I was doing this work, you know, you, I would, I would start thinking about my problems, right? Because I think that's, or my to-do list or, um, and I, in, in that process, naturally, without me knowing, it put me into a state of stress, right, which is not the place that we want to be. It creates um, disharmony in our in our bodies, and um, we're we're not creative. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a maladaptive state of being that um, you know once a long time ago we went into stress or survival because we were living in the woods and maybe there was a bear that we were running away from and that our, you know, we would just kind of go into this process where we would, you know, be focused on, you know, run, fight or hide. But that's the state of being that most people live in modern day. I think the statistic is something about 70% of us live um, with thoughts that create um, hormones of stress. So, once you start um, making the unconscious conscious, right? So, so many of the things that I was, I was unconscious. I would wake up and I would think about these things. And I'd say 90% of my clients have this, they don't have the same thoughts as I do, but they have the same um, experience that, wow, yeah, I do wake up and think like, oh, the weather's gross outside. And, you know, you know, and, and immediately not even understanding that even that simple thought about bad weather 
is, you know, change is, is, a, is a negative thought, right? And that then is, you know, feeding a more, you know, negative um, energetic around their, their words and then, and, then their, um, and then the stress hormones in their bodies. And so we start there. And so we, we, we list out um, everything that's awesome about yourself, right? Like that, like you would absolutely not want to change because we all are awesome, right? We all have amazing things that we, we absolutely want to take with us when we're in this process. But then you, we look at the things that we don't want to take with us. Um, it could be anything from like self judgment or, um, complaining or any of those types of things. And I think a lot of people know how to identify those things, but what I teach them to do is, like, what do you want to replace them with? That's your target, right? And so so if you want to replace, um, you know, uh, let's see, anger or say, I'm just thinking of emotion that a lot of people would feel, like, um, unworthiness. Okay, well, anger, yeah. Yeah, the thought of unworthiness or <laughs> anger is a good one, especially yeah. in this culture. Yeah, and so, you know, what, you know, and I usually say, well, what, what would be a better alternative to anger? Like, what's, what's that replacement? And, you know, of course, it's obviously not being angry, but it's also like, you know, being, you know, loving, right? It's being kind. It's, um, and so then I, I coach them through that process of, okay, so if, if you, you no longer want to have anger about certain things, and you want to replace it with kindness and love, then every time you feel anger, you're, you, you know, like you've got to imagine that you're replacing it with love and kindness. And that gives them a target, right? It's like the GPS. It's like the, um, and, and that's what, and then I teach them what happens in your brain, as you well know, that, you know, we can prune synaptic connections and then we could, create new ones. And so we're trying to like be aware of the ones that you no longer want. And then we're, um, we're, we're, we're creating a, a clear intention to create those new synaptic connections. And once we kind of know what our, we no longer want, we create that, that, um, that, that target. Then we, um, after, you know, we, and I teach through the program all kinds of things. We talk, we talk about living in stress versus creation, um, how the, how the brain works and then what types of brainwave states we want to get into if we, when we move into meditation, just so that people understand that we actually have the hardware and we were actually designed to, um, to move out of these, these un, un, you know, undesirable you know, thoughts and feelings and states of being. And um, so anyway, we, we do journaling. And so part of the journaling is you, you write down what you're thinking when you wake up in the morning and, and then you write down what you no longer want to think. And then you write down what you do want to think. And then you go into meditation so that you're, so when those, negative thoughts might pass by you in your meditation, you're aware of them. So then you know that you're going to replace them. So it's just, it's really designed so that we make the unconscious conscious so that some of the, those negative thoughts, you'll get so sick of them. You'll never let one slip by you. And, um, and I'm catching, I mean, in, and, and we are all works in progress. I mean, I still, you know, catch myself, you know, with an old habit or an old behavior, um, 
I mean, even just yesterday, like, you know, I had a, you know, my, a money conversation with my husband and it was a little, um, he got a little testy and, you know, my first thing was to go into my old behavior, which was to clam up, (laughs) you know, I was a clam, I was somebody that clammed up (laughs) and, you know, sort of nodded and smiled and was just like, and just wouldn't say anything and I believe that's what ultimately led to my eye disease, right? Is that I just, you know, I, I clammed up my whole life. Like, and, um, and so I, I, I caught myself and I'm like, I'm not going to do my old clamming up. <laughs> and I'm say, and I just told them what I thought and, you know, how, um, you know, how, we hopefully couldn't manage through this. So as opposed to clamming up. So it was, it was a big moment for me because it was uncomfortable. So let let me ask, how long have you been working with this kind of process for yourself with, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza's work and the idea of recognizing the negative thoughts and then reprogramming your mind to go into positive? How long have you been actively using that process? So I started learning that process around 2017, 2018. And then I became one of his trainers in 2020. And, um, and you so, still haven't gotten perfect. You still, you still have some negative thoughts, right? You're still undoing the patterns. Because we are all works in progress. That's right. And, and, the, and, the, that's and the path. And, and, and the point I want to make is that I, uh, got lucky for fortune as far as I'm concerned and found a body of work that's very, very similar in 2004. And they've been working with it very actively since 2004 and I still get triggered. I still have negative thoughts come up. I still have old patterns that want to be expressed through me and I'm just getting better and better in a process at catching it after it's happened or stopping it before I act from it just to to validate and strengthen the message that it's not throwing a switch it's traveling through life differently it's learning a different set of skills and practicing them regularly while as I get better and better at them and the regularly is really important and I'll I'll tell you why Um, so I was really you know doing this regularly and I do it regularly but then I thought like everything was going so well (laughs) and I thought you know I don't I'm I'm not going to do the journaling part anymore you know I'm just going to go into meditation and maybe do shorter meditation or try something different right like and you know about a month or so later, everything started, like, not feeling as good, right? Like, and things were sort of going not great. And I thought, what's changed? <laughs> I was like, I stopped doing the work. I mean, in, in the consistent, um, intentional way. And and that, I think, is another really great method is that a lot of people think they Eureka, I'm done. <laughs> it's not like and you could you know and please don't test it like please just do it like don't like stop (laughs) well or go ahead and stop if you want but just observe you know 
what are the results you get when you're doing this versus that? Right, right. And there's no judgment, in, you know, like in stopping and starting and stopping and starting. It's just like, you know, we're, and that's the process of creating a new habit as well, right? It's just like in, in recognizing um, you know, the, the benefits that it, um, that it produces. I mean, I think there's some statistics. I, can't, I think it maybe was Malcolm Gladwell. It was like takes 10,000 hours, right, or something like that to, like, you know, create, like, a, a real solid habit. Um, and I think what they did was they studied um, either, you know, concert, you know, pianists and, and, and also athletes and the professional athletes and, and you know, high-level, you know, musicians have over 10,000 hours of practice under their belt. And that's why they can show up and perform at that level. So even for us in wanting to master ourselves, our thoughts, we just we have to practice. We have to put in the time. There's no easy way around. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, the the Malcolm Gladwell thing isn't. And when you talk to him, it's not a hard and fast thing. But it's the, the idea that he says, you know, how do he was trying to study how do we get people who are such high performers? They seem to go above and beyond. And he looked at things like the groups of the Beatles and Wayne Gretzky and some other people that just, you know, are far and away better at their field or have accomplished more in terms of finances or whatever. And he said, well, these these factors have merged when you study these people. And one of them is they've got a minimum or, you know, some above average skill in, in that area. They were fortunate enough to have opportunities presented to them they took advantage of those opportunities, right? They, they right. stepped into the, the, the unknown and they took advantage of the opportunities and then they just kept working at it until they'd amassed that 10,000 hours. And um, so that's why I like to interview people like you. If you've uh, gotten a lot of results from Dr. Joe Dispenza's uh, work, I was recently going through his book, you know, You Are the Placebo. And if you've stepped into this and taken his training and learned some techniques that are now helping you and others, in this conversation, you might say some things that spark some people that wouldn't normally step into a practice like this to give it a try. Right. So aside from the journaling and meditation, what other tools do you use with people? Breath work. And, um, you know, I teach simple breath work, but personally, I, I, I you know, I, I've jumped, jumped into, you know, kind of like the deep end of the pool, so to speak. Um, yeah, I'm a really big Wim Hof person. I love um, the the Wim Hof breathing and then in cold immersion. Um, so that's, I don't teach that, but um, I... But you use it to great advantage in your life, right? <laughs> and... Um, and I, I I recommend it, right? Like it's 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 very amazing at um, at regulating, right? Self-regulating. It's also it's really the breath work itself is is the most powerful meditation I've ever done. Um, and and just so that your, your listeners know that it, it you know it's a lot of in and out breathing, but then you do a breath hold retention and that's where the um, kind of the power comes in and it, um, it activates your pineal gland and, you know, you really um, get to a place where 
your your use of surrender and um in that place is where um you know i think is where the where all the unlimited possibilities exist right it's where we're in the unknown and and then and then you just feel amazing and uh and the and the cold exposure is the fastest way to train your mind <laughs> I mean, you basically, you know, go in and, you know, in the first 15 seconds, you are, you basically think you're going to die. And then you, you know, regulate your breathing and then you settle in and you basically, um, you know, kind of, you are in that, you know, the adrenaline is flowing through your body, but it's, it's the good adrenaline. It's not, it's not the, you know, adrenaline that we create from stressful thoughts. And, um, and then it does all these other amazing things physiologically. So you, you, once you do that, you feel like you can conquer the world. And, um, and there's all these amazing happy chemicals coursing through your body once you get out. And, um, so I, I, um, I definitely recommend that. And, uh, I do do little mini retreats, uh, at my, um, home in, in, in the Berkshires. I live in, um, Berkshires in Western Massachusetts. And, we have a wood-fired hot tub that we occasionally turn into an ice tub. So uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, I'll, I'll take, we'll, we'll do a Wim Hof guided uh, breath work and, uh, and take people in there sometimes if they're, if they're willing. Um, and, um, but so, but breath back to, but you don't have to go extreme. Simple breath work works. Um, I'm also um, heart mask a heart math certified um, neurochange solutions consultant. So we, we, we weave in the heart math um, tools into when I teach the Dr. Joe Dispenza work. And there's a really simple breath called the um, heart lock-in technique. You probably know of that. And I mean, it's, it, it's so simple. You can't imagine that it would work, but it, it does. And, um, and it, it's as simple as you, Start deep, uh, breathing deeply into your heart, you know, and, you know, just in and out slowly, and then you, um, and then you connect with a regenerative feeling like gratitude or compassion, and as you're breathing in and breathing out, and then you take that regenerative feeling and you radiate it out, and you radiate radiate it back into yourself, and I think it's the back to yourself part that. I, when I teach that, it, it, it has, like, people are like, whoa, I, I just, I felt I never take it back in, you know? And, and that's the love yourself first part, right, of my love you heal. It's like, we always forget ourselves. Like, we always forget to kind of bring that love and that compassion and that gratitude back into ourselves. But just some, a simple breath like that will, um, will regulate your, um, your, you know, heart rate variability will go into coherence and, you know, ultimately that, you know, regulates your, your, your nervous system. Yeah. It, as you say that, it reminds me of the Tonglen practice of the Buddhist teachings where you visualize that you're pulling in the suffering from whoever, mm -hmm. whatever, and you're breathing out the loving energy, but you can't breathe it out unless you have it first, right? So it's this give and take process that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and of course, the heart math 
uh, as powerful as it is, it couldn't be a whole lot more simple. Right. Right? Yeah. And if I visualize that when I'm breathing, I'm breathing in through my heart. When I'm visualizing that loving energy, I visualize that I'm breathing it out through my heart. It's a breath, right? But if I'm visualizing, as you were talking about earlier, the power of your thoughts to shift the energy, especially within your own mind-body energy system, uh, they've tapped into some wonderful stuff there. Yeah. I mean, we are living in, in incredible times, I, I believe. You know, I, I, we have, I mean, the world of allopathic me- medicine, you know, is its thing, right? And um, and God bless it, right? It, it, I mean, you, you, you have a, an accident, you know, the hospitals are there, and, and there's, you know, beautiful, you know, skilled doctors out there who are, who are you know, really – you know, passionate about, you know, what they're doing, but we also have all of these other modalities, right? So we, we don't have to have, you know, or we could have and. Yeah. And can we have all of these kind of kinks or glitches in the system where we've got all these pollutants and all of this lack of nutrition in the food that most people uh, ingest? And so these, a broader range of, you know, solutions is really useful to address these things because, as you say, the allopathic medicine is phenomenal for physical crisis. It is miserable for chronic illness. Yeah. And most of the chronic illness that we um, experience and watch other people go through is not from, you know, the a car accident, right? It's from right. lifestyle and those changes in lifestyle, the use of the mind energy, the use of the breath, paying attention to, as you said, what we take in, what we eat, whether it's what we're eating through our auditory channels or our thought process or through our, you know, digesting things physically like food and water, all of that stuff can be just shifted a little here and there in ways that produce um, tremendous results because your body, your mind-body energy system actually wants to thrive exactly and 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 we're 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 built to thrive right but we we haven't been taught that right we haven't been really taught that that this machine right this magnificent like thing that we were born into is is, has so much intelligence and we we take it for granted i mean we take every the heartbeat the digestion like the breath like that's just automatic, right? And and we take that for granted. Like that, you know, we're like, oh, out there is so much smarter. No, in here is so much smarter. Like, and that's, you know, I think my journey has taught me and really the truly the answer lies within. And um, and another one of a tool that I got certified in was um, uh, teaching um, a certain um, style of Qigong called Dragon's Way Qigong, which um, was designed by uh, Grandmaster Lou um, out of New York City. And I actually found his work way before I actually, you know, got sick. And, um, but, you know, I, I reflect on it because at the time, the program was designed to help people with um, using these 10 moves um, to help people lose weight. And I wasn't 
overweight that I wanted to lose a little. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to try this. And, and it was fantastic. Right. I was just like, and, um, and, but I, I didn't really, and I, I read the book a few times and it, it really had these beautiful wise perspectives on the five element consciousness framework. I wasn't ready for the deeper lessons at that time. And then um, I, I circled back to it as, when I'm, you know, as part of my healing journey and um, I, you know, and I think some of the blessings of COVID were like, I would never have gone to Manhattan to take any of his classes. Like it was just, just, you know, and everybody was throwing their classes on Zoom. And so, you know, all of a sudden I got to take, you know, Grandmaster Lou's program and I was really just like, just so intrigued by you know, the meridians and, you know, I've used acupuncture, but then you go and you're, you're, you know, you're just there as the patient and you're having somebody stick needles in you to open up your energy paths. But when you are in tune with your own energy paths, right. And that you're, he's, he, you know, you're learning where those energy paths are and they're, you know, and they are invisible, but, and, and that there are no accidents when like you have an ache or pain, like, that there's an energy block and when we do some of the work it's it will um like I broke my ankle here's a really great example in 2012 and you know western medicine you look at the 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 um, x-ray it's, it's better but you know I started doing the qigong and my ankle hurt I was like what the heck and you know I asked grandmaster Lou I said what what's going on and he said well that's because it healed at a superficial level um and, you know, what Qigong does is it, it heals at a, you know, a deep energetic level. And um, and so, you know, there's this whole concept, you know, of the quantum field of energy and that we are energy beings, right? So I love kind of this time. I mean, like quantum physics and, and you know, the, the science um, is catching up to the spirituality. I think that, you know, like I think, you know, the Zen masters, the Buddhists, the um, the Qigong masters, they knew all of this, you know, 5,000 years ago. They understood it. And now we have, you know, in modern day science, quantum physics, that's now, you know, proving all of the the works that um, that these amazing masters um, knew for, for centuries. And uh, so I found that to be a really great um marriage sometimes um when i'm even just te- when i'm teaching dr joe's work as well because it's so great to bring different perspectives because not everybody hears everything the same way and so i can i can bring in like this this energetic perspective um that i learned through qigong and um and the magic in in i think what a lot of us are doing is that you know, we're not relying on just one perspective um, to help our clients. Exactly. And, of course, years into doing therapy, people would ask me, well, if the stuff that you've learned is so good, why do you keep taking other trainings? And and it's basically just what you said. Not everybody's going to hear or be drawn to one particular style of therapy or technique or breath work or energy field work. And so the more of these different perspectives I learn, and there's 
they're all talking about the same thing, right? But they're using a different mindset, a different set of parameters, a different set of jargon, a different template for looking at it or conceptualizing it. And one of those is going to resonate with the person on the left in the room and not with the person on the right and vice versa. And if I present, you know, five or six options, different pathways to the same result, I, I increase the probability that whoever my audience is is going to be able to find one that they're comfortable with. And that's what I tell people, you know, it's, even when you're choosing a therapist, you need two things at a bare minimum to have a therapy or a therapist that works, a therapist that knows what he or she is doing and someone with whom you're comfortable. Right. I can have the most powerful technique that I've ever discovered for doing therapy, and I present it to somebody who's not comfortable with it. It's not going to help them. Right. They yeah. won't even they won't even come to me long enough, or or engage the practice enough, or be open while they're engaging it enough that it can actually have benefit for them. Because as you were talking about earlier, the power of the mind is there to heal, or to keep me stuck. Right. Right. And that's what you were talking about. If I on, if I'm not aware of how that, what Guy Finley would call the mechanical level of mind, it just keeps churning. And it's churning when I'm asleep at night. It gets churning when I wake up in the morning. and I'm not even aware of it. If it's churning at negative thoughts and helplessness and hopelessness and victim mentality, I perpetuate that experience in my life. And if I change it, I have new opportunities, new possibilities. Yeah. yeah. Powerful work. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, um, it's, it's such a great time to be alive because we have access to all of this. Like, and look, I mean, look at your podcasting, right? You're reaching, you know, people who, who knows who's listening to it, right? Like, and, 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 touching lives and sparking interest and and then there's all these great practitioners and uh scientists and um and um thinkers that are you know looking to really just create a better world for ourselves a better planet a better better life right like living the best versions of ourselves right and and it's it's um and i think you know that concept, I think, you know, like here, you know, we, the United States, you know, like we're the land, you know, like the land of opportunity, but we were founded by the Puritans, right? So like, you know, so there's, there's still like even that ethos, like that, it's in the zeitgeist, right? Exactly. So, and, and those, that's the unconscious, right? That where you like those little thoughts might slip in where it's like, well, you know, but I can't have too much, right? Because that would be like greedy or something. And it's just like shift, you know, shift it. Like we live in an abundant universe. There's like more than enough for everybody. And if, if, if we could teach that the whole planet would be, you know, dancing and, um, and, and what we need to do is just one by one or group by group, you know, that consciousness ever so slightly and I believe that's the the goal that's the objective like because you know that those negative um, emotions carry um, a low vibration and it's all we're all energy we're 99.9999 percent energy so if we could shift the lower vibration to a higher vibration you know go from sad to happy then you know 
we're raising, you know, um, um, I don't know what the factor is, but I think there's some there's some statistics that like lower frequencies, um, the higher frequencies have a bigger impact on the world than the lower ones ultimately, right. and that's why we're still actually haven't blown ourselves up because right. thank and, God. <laughs> and and the idea is that because there's a power in our thoughts. Um, if I'm not paying attention to the negative ones, if I take my fingernail and drag it over the back of my wrist here on skin, I can do that if I have an itch. I can do that 10, 15, 20 times a day, no problem. But it's doing something. It's changing a sensation. And if I do it, and most of us who've worked with people have seen people who have obsessive-compulsive problem patterns, and they yeah. do this relatively harmless thing thousands of times until there's a wound. Mm. Well, think of the same harmless negative thought that I wake up with. And I don't do the journaling. And I don't say, hey, I don't really prefer that thought. I would prefer this one and let me create this. If I don't do that, what this is what you're tapping into, the 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 consequences, the damage that we do to ourselves when we blindly walk through life perpetuating the negativity that we've been conditioned into. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's powerful stuff. And so just that much, right? Even if you don't add the breath work and the energy right. and the Qigong, even if you can just identify the negative thought patterns and then choose something more positive, you get a big benefit right there. Absolutely. And and then choose them, you know, choose to do that like frequently. Like, I mean, it's, you can't, you know, you, doing it once is not like right. going to right. solve just, it. Just, just like scratching myself once isn't going to cause a wound. Right. 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 Well, shifting over to the positive thoughts once isn't going to dismantle that pattern either. But Right. It is possible to dismantle that pattern. It is possible to use that power of thought in a positive healing, growth, expansive direction. Yeah. And I need to yeah. choose to do that. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons why meditation is really great to help us do that is because we get into the operating system. And if we get in, if we, we, you know, kind of get in there in the right way, it it helps us produce the results potentially faster. And that's the power of meditation, right? And it's understanding that you you want to get your because when you're in that stress, those negative hormones, those negative thoughts, those negative emotions, like you're in, in, in high beta, right? And that is you cannot have a successful meditation in high beta. And um and so what you know we really what I teach is just even simply what the brainwave states are and like what, you know, where you want to get, like, you don't want to, you have to like get yourself, you know, and a lot of times breath is what gets you there the fastest into that, um, into, you know, an alpha brainwave state, which is a much more coherent brainwave state and where we're more suggestible. And I guess the easiest way to explain to somebody how they already, they, they are in it often <laughs> is, um, you know, back when 
infomercials first came on, you know, they were only on late at night. And you know why, right? Because, you know, television is sort of like puts people in a trance. And then late at night, you're, it was when you're um, starting to come out of um, beta and going, you know, moving towards sleep. And so you get into that, they know that you're in that successful zone between alpha and theta. And that's when they're trying to sell you all that stuff. So like, so we all have been in, the, in, the, in that zone and we know how to get there. And, um, but we, 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 we get there consciously. We, we, you know, we, we, we like, we sit ourselves down and we, 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 you know, quiet our brain and our thoughts and we like, um, Learn to voluntarily bring about that shift, right? Right, right. So I I just, you know, uh, looked at the clock and realized we're we're pushing a limit here. So let me ask you to just take a breath and get centered and think about what's an aspect of what you do or you find most helpful for yourself or others that I either haven't asked you about yet or that you want to go back and highlight. I, I, we really covered the gamut and, but I, I would, I'd like to really just um, remind myself every day is to start with my, what, what is my intention for today? And I, I didn't really speak that. Like we, I kind of talked around it, but I literally every single day do not get up from my journal or my meditation without writing down what my, my intention was today. And I even had my intention for our interview. And since I wanted to come, you know, I wanted to come, come here. I wanted to really be fluid with what I was speaking. I wanted to just enjoy myself. And, and that's, I'm ho- hoping that's what, what's shown up. And so when we, we, we don't let our life just happen. We, we, we show up with intention. And so, also, that intention, I always marry it to an elevated emotion, and the elevated emotion I want to have is joy and happiness, and um, and and that's what sets the tone of every day. And that's I didn't really touch upon that, but I would highly recommend if you do nothing, just you know, even if you know you're going into a meeting, and you know, like your old self would be like, oh, you know, that person's always a jerk, right? Like. Stop that and just go, I, you know, I'm going into this meeting and it's going to have an amazing outcome. And just watch how your life changes um, because your energy will change when you go into that meeting and that person may actually show up as a different person because your energy is different. Simply by choosing an intention and then within yourself pairing that with one of the more positive emotions yeah. and let yourself breathe into it and feel it before you step into the day. Yeah. Or the next activity. Exactly. Wonderful. Well, I thank you so much for joining us today thank and you. sharing your story. And um, if people wanted to find out more about the work you do, um, where where can they reach you? The best place is my website, which is www.loveeatheal.com. And I also welcome you to just email me directly. And which is Carol with an E, C A R O L E, at loveeatheal.com. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And I look forward to uh, 
following your work. Oh, and I, it was an honor to participate in, on your podcast, and I am grateful for, for what you're doing, so thank you. You're welcome. Blessings. Thank you. Well, that was an awesome interview with Carol Murko, and I hope you enjoyed it. Dr. Tim is gone all this week. Excuse my voice. It's uh, gone, too. <laughs> um, Michael will be with us shortly. Since we're starting a few minutes early, we're probably going to stop a few minutes early as well. But we welcome you to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio, and today is Tuesday, May the 23rd, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. We're at Chapter 3 in Michael Singer's book called The Untethered Soul. And the title of this one, Who Are You?, reminded me of an exercise that we did back um, several years ago. We did the intuitive development intensive and we were uh, out on Oak Island um, on the beach. It was an awesome place to have an intensive. And there were two questions that we we partnered with someone and like so this is a good practice so hopefully you'll you'll do this. So you get someone to sit in front of you and whichever one of you goes first you close your eyes and the other person asks who are you? And most people start with, you know, I'm Jeannie. Um, well, who are you? Well, I'm a mother. Well, who are you? I'm a wife. Well, who are you? I'm a teacher. Who are you? I am. And you go through this whole list of who you are. And then after, oh, 10, 15 minutes, then you ask a second question. Now, the person asking who are you is writing down the other person's answers so that they can just stay with their eyes closed and internally focused and, and just respond what comes up for them. The second question we ask them is, why are you here? And, you know, they may say, you know, I'm here at the intensive. Well, why are you here? Well, I'm um, here to be loved. Well, why are you here? I'm here to support other people. Why are you here? I'm here to teach. And you keep going for another 10 or 15 minutes asking that question. And after we did that exercise, I realized that, you know, previously, probably three years before that, I had written my purpose statement. And the purpose statement is on our website. If you go to whyagain.org and click on the Start Here button, then you can scroll down to other worksheets and then you'll find the sheet that will walk you through your purpose statement and it asks you to list 10 things that you have a talent for, 10 things that you enjoy doing, and then describe the perfect world. And then you put it all together. I'll now use my ability to um, learn fast, to teach other people, to create a world where we all live as perfect love or, or something like that. And you usually pick two or three out of each of the lists and put it together and come up with your purpose statement why you're here on this planet. Well, after we did this exercise at the intuitive development, I realized that all my answers were like um, a mother and a sister and it had to do with family and friends and relationships. 
And when I look back at my purpose statement, my purpose statement was more, for lack of a better word, clinical. It was like to teach and to, you know, whatever. And so I had to redo my purpose statement. And so this chapter, it reminded me of that, and it's called Who Are You? And I'll probably pronounce this person's name wrong, Ramana Maharshi from 1879 to 1950. He was a great teacher in the yoga tradition. And he used to say that to attain inner freedom, one must continuously and sincerely ask the question, who am I? He taught that this was more important than reading books, learning mantras, or going to holy places. Just ask, who am I? Who sees when I see? Who hears when I hear? Who knows that I am aware? Who am I? Let's explore this question by playing a game. Make believe that you and I are having a conversation. Typically in the Western cultures, when someone comes up to you and says, excuse me, who are you? You don't admonish them for asking such a deep question. You tell them your name. For example, I'm Sally Smith. But I'm going to challenge that this, I'm going to challenge this response by taking out a piece of paper and writing the letters, S-A-L-L-Y-S-M-I-T-H, and then showing it to you. Is that who you are, a collection of letters? Is that who sees when you see? Obviously not. So you say, oh, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm not Sally Smith. That's just a name that people call me. It's a label, really. Um, I'm Frank Smith's wife. Well, no way. That's not even politically correct nowadays. How could you be Frank Smith's wife? Are you saying you didn't exist before you met Frank and you would cease to exist if he died or you got remarried? Frank Smith's wife can't be who you are. Again, that's just another label, the result of another situation or event that you participated in. But then, who are you? So this time you respond. Okay. Now you have my attention. My label is Sally Smith. I was born in 1965 in New York. I lived in Queens with my parents, Harry and Mary Jones, until I was five years old. Then we moved to New Jersey, and I went to Newark Elementary School. I got all A's in school, and in the fifth grade, I played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. I started dating in the ninth grade, and my first boyfriend was Jeff. I went to Rutgers College, where I met and married Frank Smith. That's who I am. Now, wait a minute. That's a fascinating story, but I didn't ask you what has happened to you since you were born. I ask you, who are you? Um, I don't know what that beep was, sorry. You've just described all these experiences, but who had those experiences? Wouldn't you still be in there aware of your existence even if you had gone to a different college? So you contemplate this and you realize that never in your life have you asked yourself the question and really meant it. Who am I? That is what Ramana Maharshi was asking. So you ponder this more seriously and then you say, okay, I'm the body that is occupying this space. I am five foot six and I weigh 135 pounds and here I am. Well, when you were Dorothy in the fifth grade, you weren't five foot six, you were four foot six. So which one are you? Are you the four foot six person or are you the five foot six person? 
Weren't you in there when you were Dorothy? And you told me you were. Aren't you the one who had the experience of being Dorothy in the fifth grade play and now having the experience of trying to answer my questions? Isn't that the same you? Perhaps we need to step back for a moment to ask some exploratory questions before returning to the core question. When you were 10 years old, didn't you look in the mirror and see a 10-year-old body? Wasn't that the same you that now sees an an adult body? What you looked at has changed, but what about you, the one who was looking? Isn't there a a continuity of being? Wasn't it the same being that looked in the mirror throughout the years? You have to contemplate this very carefully. Here's another question. When you go to sleep every night, do you dream? Who dreams? What does it mean to dream? Your answer, well, it's like a motion picture playing in my mind and I watch it. Well, who watches it? I do. The same you who looks in the mirror. Does the same you who is reading these words also look in the mirror and watch the dreams? When you awake, you know you saw the dream. There is a continuity of conscious awareness of being. Ramana Maharshi was asking some very simple questions. Who sees when you see? Who hears when you hear? Who watches the dream? Who looks at the image in the mirror? Who is it that is having all these experiences? If you try to just give honest, intuitive answers, you are simply going to say, me, it's me. I'm in here experiencing all of this. And that's about the best answer that you'll have. I'm going to check and see if Michael's ready to join us. If he's not, I'll continue reading. And he doesn't answer, so. It's actually pretty easy to see that you're not the object that you look at. It's a classic case of subject-object. It's you, the subject, that is looking at the object. So we don't have to go through every object in the universe and say that object is not you. We can very easily generalize by saying that if you are the one who is looking at something, then that something is not you. So right away, in one fell swoop, you know what you're not. You're not the outside world. You're the one who is inside, looking out at the world. Now, that was easy. Now, at least we've eliminated the countless things outside. But who are you? And where are you if you're not outside with all the other things? You just have to pay attention and realize that you would still be in there experiencing feelings even if all the outside objects disappeared. Imagine how much fear you would feel. You might also feel frustration or even anger. But who would be feeling these things? Again, you would say me. And that's the right answer. The same me experiences both the outside world and the inside emotions. And I'll see if Michael is with us. Uh, 
Okay. To take a clear look at this, examine that you're watching a dog playing outdoors. Suddenly you hear a noise right behind you, a hiss, like a rattlesnake. Would you still be looking at the dog with the same intensity of focus? Of course not. You'd be feeling tremendous fear inside, though the dog would still be playing in front of you. You'd be completely preoccupied with the experience of fear. All of your attention can very quickly become absorbed in your emotions. But who feels the fear? Isn't it the same you who was watching the dog? Who feels love when you feel love? Can't you feel so much love that it's hard to keep your eyes open? You can become so absorbed in beautiful inner feelings or frightening inner fears that it's hard to focus on outer objects. In essence, inside and outside objects compete for your attention. You are in there having both inner and outer experiences. But who are you? And, Michael, if you're with us, we do have a hand up. Cool. Let's rock. Let's go for it. Perfect chapter for the topic of the day. Awesome. And the hand up is area code 864. You're on the air. Who do we have? Uh, This is Mr. Joseph John Bryson. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Oh, that healer from Earth? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> JJ. JJ Bryson. <laughs> What's going on with you guys? Hey, we're rocking. How about you? Good, good. I I, uh, I just wish that I could, uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, the reason I called or, you know, we, we've talked and that is I can't seem to, uh, articulate what I want to say to my significant other. Um, so I guess I, you know it's one of those things where I'm not not ready to do it, or I am ready, but I need to. Or why can't I just? I, I guess I should write it all down and just read it like, you know, like a, like a script. That's all. That's you know that way it's more it's more accurate, I guess. Well, what I hear you describing, you know. Let's imagine that, you know, you've been in one of my intenses where I've been doing a whiteboard. And let's imagine that I shine a red light on the board, and then I shine a blue light, and then I shine a green light, three different places on the board. And we have clarity. Now, scientifically, we know there's no such thing as red, green, or blue, that they're interpretations of the mind. That's why some people are colorblind. Their interpretation is different than other people. But... There's clarity on this frequency that we call red, this frequency we call blue, and this frequency we call green. But what happens if I put all three frequencies on one spot? I get a mix. I get a confusion of red, blue, and green frequencies, and the mind can't tell which it is. It's kind of a muddy mix of, you know, I can almost see some red, blue, green, or maybe it becomes a whole different, maybe it's magenta, a whole different color, you know, the whole uh, science of mixing paints, for instance. So Mm -hmm. the mind, I would offer, works in exactly the same way. And when we're focused on one frequency to the exclusion of all others, we have clarity. 
But when we're heading in the direction of something that hasn't been manifest in our lives or maybe even in our generations before or for a long time, then wanting to go to that place, wanting to source thoughts that go to that new place, it's like shining the the light on the board, the red one. But then if there's unresolved blue energy in the mind, it comes up and overlays on the red, and if there's unresolved green energy and a little unresolved pink and red and yellow, then we got a real confused mess on the board. And so what I hear you describing is that you realizing, and, you know, we had this conversation just last week about how you've really been turning more deeply inside and facing what's in there. Right. So that's the perfect place to be. You're right where you're designed to be. And now you either believe the projections of your mind that want to tell you that there's a problem outside of you and you know who is it. It's always them. Or there's a problem inside of you that you need to face and clean up. And that's why we put the examples that I suggested yesterday to you of the responsibility communication on the website so that people could get some clarity on what it looks like to describe what what my whole life I've spent trying to convince the world it's responsible for, that is, the output of my mind. But to shift from that way of what's called communicating, and really it's a way not to communicate, but we call it communication, to shift into now taking responsibility for every frequency in my mind, the red, the blue, the green, the pink, the yellow, the orange, you know, and recognizing the ones that are out of harmony, I need to process through. And, you know, how often over the years in your life when you've been in relationships, have you been able to turn to somebody in your life, whether it was as a kid to your big brother or sister or parents or whatever, and say, gee, I've got something going on inside of me that I need some support with. Would you support me? Or in, you know, people you were dating, marriages, business situations, how often in your life, how many times have you seen somebody in your family system say that to you or to someone else and successfully move in that direction? Right. I'd venture to say, well, if I think about my own life until I started doing this work and developing the tools and using them, I didn't have a clue. I couldn't name anybody that had ever done such a thing. So now with your deeper focus, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I'm complete. I, I just, I, fear of failure comes up. Uh, of not being able to convey, uh, I, and I, that might that might be around procrastination, because I, I don't I don't know I just don't that's really what it comes down to it's it's you know you're not gonna the, the journey of a thousand miles you got to take that first step and right uh, it's just but stepping into the abyss of failure in the mind. In the generational mind, that's a huge piece of work. And the first time you turn in that direction, it's going to be the, the frequencies, the energetic patterns that your mind serves up to you are going to be just about as dire as what you're facing and going through as you 
think about doing this. I mean, you're, you're, you talk about bringing a whole new skill set into your family system, into your mind, your life, your physiology, your genes, that perhaps has never been seen in your bloodline. It, it, and it would be... I don't know. But... Yeah, I couldn't point to anybody in my bloodline that ever did. So I'm, you know, I'm talking about a, a question that I've asked myself. Like, who modeled it? Who who gave us the skills? <laughs> there wasn't anybody. But... In fact, they modeled the exact opposite. So what's my work now? To forgive, to undo all that is opposite that in me. And that's what the responsibility communication tool is about. It's about languaging in a way that describes the projected output of my mind, the construct that my mind is setting up of this world that I think I see outside of me that is really inside of me, and moving out of the habit of dis- which, you know, all of us have been modeled our whole lives and rarely have ever seen anybody else do such a thing and actually describe the reality, the construct in my mind as though I know that that construct belongs to me and that it's inside of me rather than what my whole family system, my whole culture has done is modeled that it's outside of us and we're always trying to get somebody else to fix it. Now the invitation becomes, or the, the skill set required, and there's lots of conflicting energy for all of us in doing this. This is just part of the process. So when I surface something that isn't true in me, and let's say it might be a thought, so I'm going to go and ask for support. And what I, what I find in my mind, if I'm able to really be cognizant of it, is I find it a child of two, me, who was looking for support from dad who was just in the middle of having a fight with one of his friends and he turned around and belted me in the mouth. That might be what Mm. energetically I'm going to have to process through to even be able to speak up and say, I need support with something. I need help here. I've got something I need to work through. Yeah. I remember working with a woman... This goes back almost 40 years ago in Atlanta. Uh, There was a woman who had been divorced from her husband, separated from her children, uh, had not been able to work, and was under psychiatric care. And the psychiatrist was ready to say, okay, you're you're ready for long-term incarceration. We're going to put you in asylum and lock away the key. That's how crazy she was in terms of the world. In order to do that in Georgia... The psychiatrist couldn't do it on his own. He had to have a second opinion. So he sent this woman to another psychiatrist. And this other psychiatrist was familiar with me and with my work. And so he referred her to me. About the third or fourth session we did, we did a still point session. And what surfaced for her was being very young. I don't remember exactly. It might have been four, five, six, or seven, something like that. This is 40 years ago this session happened. But she had the memory surface of standing in front of an insane asylum, what they called an insane asylum back in those days, and 
waving goodbye to her mother who entered the asylum and she never saw her again. Yeah. That's what surfaced for her. And within about two weeks, she had mended the relationship with the husband she divorced. She was back in full-blown relationship with her children, and she went to work. Yeah. So, you know, when there are strong emotional energetic patterns that go against what I want to do today that's something new or even carrying on something that's been going on for some time the, the willingness to breathe and open those parts of the mind are just a huge piece of the puzzle that's for sure that's uh, I, I really find myself uh, yeah that, that's that's it and now it's just a matter of uh, of doing it, actually taking the steps to try and explain it uh, and how it how I will benefit from it or we we will benefit from it as a couple. Right. Well, and and as you look at the worksheet for the responsibility communication you'll notice that there's a set of instructions for, and and it's interesting, in some circles of communication, they talk about I statements, where you're supposed to say I, 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 and and that's not where the solution lies. The solution lies in recognizing I have a construct in my mind. I have a reality that is challenging, painful, whatever it is to me, Mm -hmm. And rather than following the old pattern of, and you're the problem, therefore you better change, which creates conflict, strife, and separation in relationships, I describe this reality in my mind. You know, the person I'm going to speak to is involved, but it's not their responsibility. So the new skill that I need to develop is the ability to really develop language with which I reflect that I'm aware that this is mine. Yeah, you brought it up for me. Thank you. Dubious yes. at this moment, perhaps, or I'm on the other side of it. It'll be a big thank you. But but just yeah. developing the language to start to describe the constructs in your mind as though you know that they are yours and they're developed by your mind and they're about you and they're not about anybody else. That's like a a monstrous piece of work to do. That's well, yeah, and 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 the beauty of relationship is you see it happen again when the when the when the significant other moves in a direction that that I see the gaslighting or I see the the thing that I want to say, hey, this is bringing this up for me. This is my issue. It's got nothing to do with you. But I see or I feel and and I need to work through why this upsets me. Well, and just a slight refinement of the language will take you a step closer is I need to figure out or understand and use the tools to come to the point where I can own this upset in me and forgive it, remove it, rather than why this upsets me, because this doesn't upset you. There is no this in the world that could ever and has ever upset any of us. Though lots of us have spent lots of time in upset, and the reason we're in upset is because there's upset inside of us. 
So I can put it when it's convenient into my brain's image of you or her or him or them or some far-off boogeyman that some fear monger has put out in the world. I can put it on a thousand different things. And, and I've languished a thousand different times about how I'm upset about that. So there's the first step is, and recognizing I, I have this state of upset and I don't even know what the hell to do with it. And so well, that's, I'm that's just it. asking for support. Right. I don't even, it, it's, it's going forward. And, you know, the other thing I find myself with your help, with Jeannie, with everybody, is a lot, a lot of times it's just con- singular contemplation or singular working this in my solitude and coming to peace in terms of the next time I find myself upset again and say, no, I, right. I know this. I've learned this. I know what this is. And I will ask for support and I will undo this without saying anything. It's all happening between my ears. It's all just right. undoing, undoing. And, and another forgiving. challenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another challenge with that is that chances are, as most of us have been most of our lives, are in relationship with people who are doing the same things we're doing. And so when I present it and I clearly state, this is mine, it's about me, I'm ready to deal with it, and they live in a world of being blamed, and they go off the deep end, and, man, you better get out of my face because you're blaming me. And, and so when you get two people doing that, it takes a whole lot of trust and cooperation. And, you know, something that so, is so deeply missing in today's world, and, you know, especially if you look at what's going on, for instance, in politics, you know, just the, the lack of respect and caring for each other, the lack of decency, And so overcoming that and recognizing that there are trigger points for each person in the process and learning together to move through those things that get triggered in a way that's responsible. You know, if you go to the the opening words in the book of John, it's to me it's such a giant piece of information when we recognize what we were being told 2,000 years ago and the words weren't in the beginning was the, the word, and the word became flesh, and they equate that word with the man named Yeshua. But what it says in Aramaic is in the beginning was the mind energy, and the mind energy became flesh. Right. But before it does, it warns us. The mind energy warns us, and every untoward feeling, every hostility or fear is nothing more than a warning signal that I'm engaging in mind energy, that my cells are saying, don't do it. I don't want that in here. That's destructive to us. Mm. But because we've all been trained through denial, thinking or speaking as though something outside of us is the cause of what's moving inside of us, we've all had that training, then in that state of denial, we externalize it. Oh, you did this to me. Giving up that habit and actually owning it, you know, like, It was a threat to survival if this parent didn't approve of you and take care of you. This is, you know, one of the dynamics of the power person uh, game is the child perceives it as survival. It's like, and and until they resolved that, that went on when they were two and they thought it was survival, 
every yeah. conversation that comes to the edge of that, it's another, oh, my God, I'm going to be destroyed. Survival. And I, 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 the other thing, too, Michael, is how quickly do I fall into this, I'm the healer, I'm going to heal you, that, you know, if I, if I approach Susan and I say, okay, uh, I really want to move in a loving, caring way, and I want to move from blame to no blame. This has got nothing to do with, with you. It, you're, so, you want to, so, so let me clarify what I just heard. So yeah. you want to move from blame to blame. Well, I want to move from you did this. I want to get away from you did this to me. No blame. It's, it's for both of us. Right. Because so you want to get away from you did this to me and you're to blame. Right. That's what you're saying. Um, uh, pardon me. That's uh, what I'm uh, listening to. Yeah, no, no. That's, and see, that's why I, I call in because yeah, here it, we are. It, it, my words, my confusion. Huh? Well, remember, if I say don't think about the color of your car, what resonates in your <laughs> mind? Something about the color of your car. So if I say, and now what I want to do is heal my blame, so there's no blame here, what's going to resonate in your mind? Oh, shit, I'm about to be blamed again. <laughs> that's what's going to move, and that's going to trigger that whole healing opportunity. So if, if you were to actually say what you want in that situation, so I'm ready to be responsible for my blame and... And, and and undo it. Undo, undo it, it, right? But what's the alter? What's the other side of the equation? I don't know. That's why we can't get there when we don't know. So so then the conversation would look like you know if we model it as I'm realizing that I've spent a lot of time in blame and there's a part of my mind that could get jump right on that bandwagon right now and what i really want to do uh, with your help is i want to have some feedback that supports me being fully responsible for my own words for my own actions and for the realities generated by my mind right. so now that i've set the goal in my mind for responsibility i've unleashed the power called ruka de kutcha in me if you remember that aramaic yep. term ruka de kutcha she feminine elemental force in us that undoes the effects of ours and teaches us the truth. But if we give the instruction to Ruka, well, what I want to do is just be responsible for my blame so there's no blame here. There's nothing for Ruka to work with because it's all about blame. When it's, oh, I realize I got this blame, and now what I want to do is move toward full responsibility. I've given Ruka permission in this space to fulfill the task which that feminine elemental force is designed for, and that is undo the effects of my errors and teach me the truth. But if I can't think it, if I can't language it, I can't give the instruction, Ruka doesn't source for me. I've got free will. All that power can do is follow my directions. And we just made a transition, Mike, from interaction to, to interpersonal reaction. Because if I'm going to speak off the worksheet and undo something and I go to Ruka, that's when I shift from someone giving me the answer or, or cooperating or helping me, what, what, there's a shift away from an external discussion to an internal one. And I undo, yeah. 
I undo the uh, the hurt, the blame. So that and so that Michael and Jeannie, that the next time it happens, it's more recognizable. And it's probably a better right. way to put that. Not more. It's yeah. Right on. It's, exactly. It's, okay. Okay. So the frequency, the frequency becomes important to stay uh, in, in a learned way of the undoing that I have done with regards to, for instance, she says to me, Joe, you have a, you, you, uh, what was the word? Um, uh, you, you have a lot of uh, bitterness. Joe, you're, you're very bitter about something in your past. Like, okay. Uh, oh, you know, interesting. Yeah. Tell me more. I mean, what, what, well, I, I, you know, and then she'll say, well, I don't know what it is. I mean, but it just seems to be bitter. And then I'll say, well, I, I, I would offer that the bitterness part is, I mean, let's talk about you. What, what exactly is coming? How, how did bitterness enter in your, you know, learning behavior or your uh, growth? And then the conversation just shuts down because now I've, I've shifted it back to her and said, right. hey, you know, you, you took a shot. See, that's not that's not a good word either. Shot. You took a yep. you took a uh, you took good catch of all the language around this whole thing. I know. That's exactly. what needs to be transformed. Yeah, no question. Because it's, it's, it's that. Yeah, go ahead. Well, the function of forgiveness. It's really well described in the course in miracles. I think it's paragraph eight, workbook lesson three hundred five, and it. It gives specific, precise instructions that match the Aramaic forgiveness, but it adds, actually adds a piece, or it's a little in a personal way. But what it says is, let go all the things you think you want, your goals, of course, and it calls your goals your trifling treasure. Oh, I want you to take responsibility for this. I want you to fix this. Your trifling treasure, your goal put away. So I've canceled the goal. Once mm-hmm. I cancel the goal, the whole construct of my mind that's driven by that goal collapses. Right. And now I have a clean and open space within my mind, of course, language is this way, for Christ to come. For right. the mind of love in me to arrive in my awareness, rather than carbon-based memory filling the space, always having a story, always having something to cling to, always holding on. And there's no room for that other mind to come in. But when you forgive, you know, and so it's not an external, when you actually step into the forgiveness process, it's not an external thing that's happening. You've simply followed through with the instructions to collapse that mind that can only, only knows how to reflect what's held in the past and literally clean out that nine-bit space so that the mind of love arrives. And there's where the instructions are given fully. There's where the, the deep, uh, I use the tool, and then, aha, oh, that's it. Yeah. I get the experience. Yeah. I only oh, get the experience from that mind. I can't get it from somebody else. Right. Somebody else right. can support Internal. me getting there, but I can't get it from them. Yep. Internally, yes. And I would offer that, I would offer that it is, a, it is similar to a piece of the pie. The issue, you may take a slice at this time of whatever it is, 
whatever the blame or shame or whatever the issue is. And you may take a slice of it this time. There are other slices to be had. And I will right. say to myself, oh, oh, there's another slice. Wait, I know this. I've had one of these slices. Ah, okay. Undo. I know I am familiar with this. Undo this. Forgive myself. Take another piece of the pie and work my way through the slices, whether I take the whole pie at once or through different pieces. It, for me, it's, it's typically a few pieces before the next time it comes up inside me. Well, no. Yeah, the next time it comes up externally to me, then the inside looks at the pie and says, no, 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 I'm familiar with this. I know this. Okay. Undo. Move on. Buka de Kusha. There's a thank you at, at the end of the worksheet. The great yeah. yeah. That's not, you know. And so it goes strength. You know, the scriptures talk about strength, strength. Here a little, there a little. Yeah. And, and, then, it, and then it says, the creator's talking to us. It says, with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to you. And actually, that's something I write about. There's there are a couple of paragraphs on that topic in my new book, um, The End of Suffering, which is kind of on hold at this point. And what, uh, what it says is, or, or the, the character that's talking, Yeshua, it's kind of like the Y book, only the character in the book is talking to Yeshua. And... When this passage comes up with stammering lips and other tongue, will I speak to you? God says, the, the character says to Yeshua, well, why would God speak with stammering lips and other tongue? That's crazy. And Yeshua says, wait a minute. Remember projection? It isn't it God speaking with stammering lips and other tongue? You're listening with stammering ears <laughs> and a brain that's so far away from truth that everything gets misinterpreted. Well, there's the, there's the inversion again. There's the shift from one side of the coin to the other. Where so I, the measuring stick is, is love present. Well, Can I keep love present? There's the, there's the proof. And patience. Yes, all of the human attributes. Compassion, <laughs> patience, yeah. generosity, and the active presence of love. And when I can't hold that in awareness, I have a problem. They may have a problem too. But strictly speaking, oh, sure. at that moment, their problem is none of my business. <laughs> My business is, what do I need to, I, out of this hostile or fearful mind, I can never bring them correction. It's only out of a mind of love that that can be delivered to myself or anyone else. Which, which, which there again is, is the external turning to the internal. And that is, an, you know, you go from the corporate world to the individual. You know, you, you, I cannot get away from what you just said, I cannot think that I am going to, you know, it's like the, the woman that grabs his cloak and says, oh, I, I was healed because I touched him. And Jesus turns and says, that wasn't, it wasn't me. This was you. Right. You know? Yep, exactly. Your willingness makes you whole, your work. Yeah. yeah. And so rare and awesome is the mind and the word, the relationship, that can give up their membership in the one world universal religion of blame long enough to actually create a space of healing. It's rare. 
And oh, still- somebody has to go first. Yeah. What about poison ivy? Is there anything for that? Well, as I as I had shared with you, I we had a, a woman at Heartland several years ago who got into poison ivy really really bad, and she went to an Ayurvedic practitioner, and and the solution was ice cream. <laughs> and in Ayurvedic in Ayurvedic medicine, they they uh, speak in terms of one of the the focal points is the balance between heat and cold in the body and that poison ivy is a heat disorder and the solution is to move toward something cold and and actually this really severe case of poison ivy did resolve itself when she started eating ice cream which was fortunately these days we don't have to have cow pus in our ice cream we can get something other than than that cow stuff oh yeah you know Joe, the, I have. Uh, to... oh, go ahead, sweetie. I was just going to say I have somebody on the switchboard that wants to say hi to Joe before he goes. Oh, okay. Is that possible? Or should I? Yeah, no, we're yeah, right here. Possible. Go ahead. Open the oh. open the line. Hi, Michelle. Hi, hi, Jeannie. Hi, Michael. Hey, Joe. Hey hi, there, young lady. Hey. I was waiting in queue, and I heard the guy talk, and I'm like, wait a second, that's Joe's voice. Well, he's calling the radio show? What? <laughs> so I um, appreciate your um, your relationship work, and, you know, I'm doing it 40 hours a week, so I get, like, how much fun it is. I admire you. Yeah, it's good. But um, we, we need um, support from time to time, and actually I brought a – new person to the team today, Michael. Um, she can uh, introduce herself if her microphone's on, Jeannie. You there, Mike? Michael, you're muted. I am. I had I had muted, um, and I was I just said that. Uh, let's let's just uh, hold for a second, Michelle, and see if Joe's complete with what he's working on here oh, before we okay. introduce. So, no. so, so where are we at, Joe? Yosef. I I I appreciate your time, uh, and, and as as usual, looking for some type of uh, reciprocity in the way of a sticker. Need stickers. They're big to me. Happy face stickers. We're putting it in the mail. We've got one of Aria's hearts. We've got one of Aria's heart stickers. We're putting in the mail to you. What what did you say, Michelle? Well, I I mean, a sticker is nice, and you'll get a sticker, but but maybe you should leave with a mind shifter. Have you got a mind shifter in mind for him? Yes. Michelle? It's safe safe and healing when my partner's unconscious and doesn't want to do their work. (laughs) Well, that's a good one. (laughs) You could even put your own name in there, right? Why why do you think it it was so top of the mind, Michael? (laughs) Oh, what fun. What fun. Awesome. Absolutely. Michelle, when are you coming for a visit? I have chickens, you know. I have South Carolina, Greenville. You should come no, for a I'm, visit. Um, actually, I'm uh, planning a trip to Charleston um, this summer, so I'll, I'll let you know when I'm driving through. Okay. Cool. You know, I'd love to 
Let's we'll uh, get some more of these mind strippers from you. Awesome. Talk to you guys. All right. Blessings. Appreciate you, Joe. Thank you. Love you guys. Okay. So, Miss Michelle, you've got somebody to introduce to us. Yeah, I'm so, so excited about this um, new person in my life. She is so willing. I have never met someone with a level of enthusiasm to come back week after week and go deeper and deeper and, like, heating it up, sending me stuff, watching her videos, looking at the website, doing worksheets, like... So we've gotten to the point here where I'm like, well, you got to you got to talk to Big Daddy directly. You got to meet Michael and hear him, and, and you know the building brain cells and all that stuff. And she's just, oh my gosh, popping like popcorn. So I'm assuming she's the other five one seven number. Mm-hmm. So I'll turn the yes. microphone on. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, everybody. My name is Rosa, and like Michelle said, we've been working to, together extensively quite a bit. And I have to say that these worksheets <clears throat> have, they, they've changed my life. I mean, uh, when Michelle initially introduced the worksheets, I didn't know what to expect, to be honest with you, but each week we dig deeper and deeper into the different issues that I have. And these worksheets have given me such a broad perspective on my issues. And it's, it's life-changing. And I've even shared this with some family members, and their lives have changed. My, awesome. some, of my relationship, some of my relationship dynamics have changed. The way I look at certain things has changed. My, my self-concept has changed. And, and I'm just so grateful. And each week I'm looking forward to something else that I can gnaw on because I'm so adamant about changing my life and changing my perspective on different things that I know that from here, it's just going to get better. So I'm excited to be here, and thank you, Michelle, for having me on this call. We talked last week, but we didn't do that. So she was like, you want to get on today? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to get on. So I'm happy to be here and uh, hearing the last gentleman, hearing um, his worksheet. I uh, jotted down some of his perspectives, which was refreshing. And I'm just looking forward to more of this. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Welcome. Delighted that you're here. And your name again is? Rosa. Rosa. Delight to meet you, Rosa. Glad that you're here. And, and they, it is a pretty monumental tool, isn't it? It, just, it still boggles my mind every time I do a worksheet or I watch somebody go through a worksheet and what it opens, what it uncovers. The healing that ensues is just monumental. And uh, I am in gratitude all the time for the, the, uh, the man that initiated this tool even though it was 2,000 years ago, and uh, I am monumentally grateful that I happened to stumble into the first century Aramaic language of Yeshua and, uh, and take the time to, uh, to be with it to understand this tool and to be able to put it in a format that, uh, that makes sense in English. So delighted that you're sharing it and, uh, pardon me, and that you're passing it on. It's awesome. Thank you so much again. And like you said, it's very digestible. I mean, just each week Michelle and I go through the different questions and the different perspectives, and it's totally a mind shift. I mean, it really is. And I've received much more from these worksheets and tools 
than the other types of therapies I received. And the fact that I know that I can do this, that I that I am the master of my emotions, that I can navigate this and give myself grace and love while doing this, I'm just I'm I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Right on track. That's actually Dr. Tim who does the first hour of the show. That was kind of his testimonial as a clinical psychologist in practice for almost four decades. And when he came mm-hmm. across this, he spoke about how he's gone to, you know, therapists who are doing monumental work and, and that he's never found anything that's reproducible that, you know, that even that, you know, go to a therapist workshop and this therapist does such great things and they take it home and try to use it. And it's like, doesn't work. And uh, that this tool, you can hand it to anybody and they can produce the same result. It's just that simple and straightforward and uh, and based in the actuality of how the mind works. So, awesome. Thank you. Um, so, like is there anything in your on your mind today that we can support you with in particular? Well, yes. Um, I've been uh, grappling with fear. And fear as it relates to uh, projecting uh, projecting a future outcome based on a past experience. Michelle and I have worked on that a bit, and it has shifted my perspective a bit, but I know it's still something that I need to work on more. So uh, do you have any uh, perspectives about that or anything you'd like to share with me about that? Yeah, my- my input would be, you know, there's a thing in one of the workshops we do where we talk about what we call a vitality meter. It goes from 1 to 10. And let's mm-hmm. say somebody's at level 5 vitality, and they have an issue that's a level 7. And they say, well, I want to work through this issue. It's like, good, that's great. But guess what? Until you've built your vitality up to a level 8, that level 7 issue is not going to show up. Literally, the body-mind unit knows how to protect itself. It's kind of like, you know, you get a sliver and a, a little core of tissues developed around to protect from it. And that's exactly the same thing. And so patience is a, is a virtue here, knowing that the day that you hit the next level, like you hit that level 8 vitality, that thing's going to break loose, and it's probably going to be major. But be patient with it because you can't break it loose until you're ready for it to break loose. It'll come in layers and pieces, and each new level of vitality will allow you to go to a new depth of healing, whatever that's about. And that's why oftentimes people will have to revisit. You know, when they ask the originator of this worksheet process, well, how many of these darn worksheets do we have to do? You know, the way Peter said it to Yeshua was, how many times do I need to forgive as to my brother? And he says, is seven enough? And in Aramaic, Yeshua says, no, 77 times 70 times. So you're going to visit, revisit, revisit, and each time, you know, somebody says, I want to, I would really want to, you know, work through this issue, and now I'm going to the burger bar to have my greasy French fries and my, you know, half pound of meat with, uh, with a fifth, or, you know, a, a couple of beers. They're doing everything to vote against their vitality rising, eating the sad diet. And, and if they never correct their dietary regimen, they'll never get to dealing with that issue. And so it's really dealing on all levels. And ultimately, you know, one of the things we bring into it is the fact that we live in a culture that most so-called food isn't really food at all. It's grown on dirt, and you can't grow dirt, food on dirt. You grow food in soil. It's got to be soil. And killing the soil 
and turning it into dirt and then using all kinds of chemicals to produce food doesn't give the body the energetic factors that it needs to really build to its vitality. So it really takes it a very holistic approach right down to not just what you put in your mouth, but where it comes from. Does it come from soil? Are there nutrients in the soil? Is it something that actually produces vitality in the structure? And most people when their their stuff starts moving, run off for the sad diet, the garbage of the culture, the sugar, the caffeine, the nicotine, what have you, and to really patient with yourself and take the time to correct on every level everything that you need to uh, to do to reach that new level of vitality, and then it's going to break wide open. But it won't do it till then. Thank you. You're welcome and deserving, as Dr. Tim would say. Delighted to Is be there anybody um, wait, waiting for for us for a call or anything? I don't know. Okay, Miss Jeannie. Well, I, I mean, well, it doesn't matter. We're with you, so let's just go. Yeah. You know, everybody who's on, we're with them 100. percent What I think you um, educate best on, or this 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 one little piece. That I've tried to do it, and I, I every time I listen to you, I'm like, he always does it better. I just can't get it. But what I think what she might benefit from is hearing your perspective on missing people, like when they die, the whole the whole thing about missing people and how um, the illusion of that. Did you put yourself back on mute? I'm here. Okay. So I didn't quite get the essence of your question. Um, uh, in the past, you've um, broken down the the fear inherent in the idea of missing people when they've passed, and how and, and yes. the setup for suffering when it comes with that. And so you have, you have a really great way of um, explaining that to people to change their perspective that of, of this generated loss. Well, I can give a uh, a really good personal example. Um, Dad passed away here about eight weeks ago. And, you know, if I ever doubted that there was an afterlife, um, I know now because it's like, sorry, Michael, I just hit your phone. <laughs> um Dad hadn't been able to even roll over in bed or anything for a year, and we were with him, and he sat straight up and looked up in the left corner of the room. His eyes were huge. He took a breath and lay down and and went. I mean, you've heard the scripture, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, but Dad was actually present with the Lord before he ever left his body, and it was just like, you know, so the, yeah, I wish that he was still here physically, but, you know, they were going to shock him and bring him back. And I'm like, no. I said, you know, he just got to see glory. I said, let him stay there. And uh, so it made it a whole lot easier to be able to say, you know, this isn't just all there is to life. You know, because he, he left his physical body, but he definitely moved on to another realm. So that made a big difference for me in experiencing any kind of loss. And that came on the heels 
about 30 minutes, 30 minutes. after um, she gave him, or pardon me, it was about an hour after for the first time since we had met that she was able to say to her dad, Dad, it's time for you to go. I'm going to be okay. She gave him that permission, and it was about, you know, less than or about an hour or so later that he left. But one of the things that I think that I'm hearing you refer to, Michelle, is that in, um, in raising children especially, like one of the things I never trained my children to do was to miss me. I traveled a lot. Sometimes, you know, when they traveled with me, they were homeschooled, but there were times when they weren't, and I'd be gone maybe for a month and come back. I never once said to my children, I missed you, or did you miss me? And what our culture does is it builds attachments rather than connections. And so for me, I mean, I would love to, especially now my son has a new baby granddaughter that's just seven months uh, been circling the earth now. And I often wish they were closer, but I never pick up the phone and say, I miss you, son, because all I need to do is tap into my son and his energy is there and my energy is there with him. And I could develop a whole thing. We could build the brain cells of, of missing and, and that's all based in loss, which is based in fear. And so to begin to forgive everything in the mind that's based in fear and know that we are eternal beings and that physical presence isn't a requirement for me to have a relationship with you. But that's not what our culture does. Part of the brainwash is about, you know, clinging, holding on to and and you know, when Jeannie started out and spoke about the impact of that uh, exercise that we did in the intensive of who are you is if if I become uh, a non-human missing of someone else, I voided the state of being in me. And our being is the presence of love. When people pass, they, you know, the people that are left behind oftentimes talk about how painful it was and how terrible it was and all of that. But if you're with someone when they pass, it's not terrible. It's a profoundly powerful experience. And I actually did that with Jeannie's dad. This was just a few weeks ago. And about two weeks before that was with my former wife when she passed. In neither case was it about trauma and loss. And I feel no trauma and loss in either case. And when people have pain about or appear to have pain about missing or loss, it's because they've had structured into their minds realities of pain and loss around someone not being present. And so as I forgive those things, as I remove those energetic patterns from my mind, everything changes. Does that make sense for what you were asking about, Michelle? What you were thinking of? Um, some of the principles that are around it, for sure. So how does that uh, strike you? Does that open anything for you? It's definitely giving me a different perspective, especially the part where you said, when you talked about reality and pain, and it, uh, it, like, it contributes to 
there being a loss of somebody not being there. And I can see how that resonates with my life, where there are people who weren't there for me, people who have abandoned me, and how those two can relate. And I didn't even think about that before. But I can see now with you bringing up that example how those yep. resonate. And, so uh, there are the things to be forgiven then. Oh. Yeah, and then when you said loss is based in fear and forgiving that part of it in, your, the, in the mind. Because I never thought about like, loss being based in fear, but it is. And yep. especially, and I, and I didn't mention this to Michelle, but um, another issue that I had with this is the relationship I had with the person prior to them passing and how we left it. Okay, so yes. if we if we were on good terms before they died and then they died abruptly, which was an example of mine, where that right. leaves me because it's unresolved. Yep. So just trying to come to terms with that part of it. Um, I have issues that's with that where, often. Yeah, my offering is that's where the pain of someone dying comes from, from the unresolved issues that I have with them and or that I have around death in general. When I resolve those things, that is not a painful experience. Michael, um, yes. I, I try to explain this to um, Rosa and a couple other people along the way that Back in 2016 when Mark left and all the work that I did with you and Jeannie and Julie and Tim and Rex, you know, I mean, years. And then when he died last summer and I was at the funeral, I tell people that I had to hide my joy because I felt like I was at a party. Like I had all these friends and relatives and old people I haven't seen. I was so excited and happy I had to dumb that shit down and and mope about to to not be um, calling attention to myself because it really was so extraordinarily um, complete that it was a a great – so it's true what you're saying in in terms of the fears or the the missing that comes after is is more to do with incompleteness. I like what you said about right. attachment versus connection. That's like, yes. you know, codependency versus healthy. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, the culture has a saying, well, no pain, no gain. The truth is, no pain, no pain. We don't have to do it. We don't have to do it. Our culture teaches us to do it in all kinds of, look what they just said to you, you should be enraged. Well, why should I be enraged? Well, uh, I guess the only reason I'd be enraged is if there was rage in me. But if there's no rage in me, then what is? why would I be enraged? Why would I be sad? Why would I be hateful? Why would I be hurt? Because that's what's in me when I actually grow up. And, you know, I don't know if you've been on a show where I've talked about it. I've been talking about this now for a couple of months. The insight came from me. You know, there's there's a big, in the, the fundamental world, there's this big fear campaign that goes on about this new satanic one world religion that's coming. And most people who are have fear about that have fear because that appears to be about that because they're already members, they're card-carrying members of the one world universal religion of blame. And when did that religion start? You know, if you go back to the Garden of Eden story, here's this guy, Adam, and he turns to the creator and says, you know, that woman, so the woman's to blame, and then 
he says to God, that you gave me, <laughs> so God's to blame, that's the reason there's a problem here. And that's when the satanic one-world religion of blame started. And in the Aramaic language, the word Satan means the resistor, one who misleads. It's not a dude with a red suit, a tail, and a pitchfork. And by virtue of being born into the world, each and every one of us, by the time we're four, is pretty much a card-carrying member of that one-world universal religion. And that's a tough one to give up. Because as you said at that, you know, celebration of life service, you had to play along with the pain and the drama and the trauma that everybody else was projecting. And that's what needs to be forgiven. That's not what's designed to be in us as human beings. Giving it up is a, forgiving it is a big challenge. And, of course, the Greeks made forgiveness. They turned it around backward. Well, okay, I'll let you off the hook because, of course, you're the reason I'm, I'm experiencing this. That's just part of that one-world religion of blame. So I've got to give it up and step up and become adults, responsible. So it's an interesting process, and, uh, and um, if, you, if you go back through the archives, and we've been doing this radio show an hour a day, five days a week for just about 12 years now, and if you go back through, you'll find just literally thousands of hours of conversation that builds the brain cells for arriving at these conclusions, for moving through and understanding. So you, you're certainly most welcome to call the radio show any and every day and be part of the conversation to just continue to help to build the brain cells. And whenever there are questions, just push one and ask your question as often, as often, as often as you would like. We're delighted. That's, that's what makes the show really live is when people step up with their personal experience because that's what opens the space for everybody because, you know, we're all pretty much in the same boat doing the same stuff. So delighted that you're here and uh, we'll look forward to more interaction. And as I say, the... Uh, the um, archives are there, and um, please make use of them. Pass them on. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. You know, thanks. I appreciate this a whole lot. I Wow, this has been so helpful. And I look forward to doing more of this. Thank you. Delighted, honored, and I look forward to supporting you. Thank you. All right. Well, Miss Michelle, you have an awesome, beautiful day, you young ladies and everybody. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. And we'll see you tomorrow. Blessings. Bye.